Your body says to you, you can handle the stress. Your body says mm -hmm. to you, it can handle all that you throw at it for decades. You can go 10 years, 20 years, 30 years thinking that you're just fine and dandy, but your body's keeping score and eventually it's going to blow up. You've got to get around people that are doing the shit you want to be doing on the level and volume of what you want to be doing. Go in and be the damn student. I could learn from every person in this room. Think about how you talk about your business. Yes, passion sells. But you can't carry on a real conversation outside the passion. You're gonna lose. So the whole point of all of this is one, show up as you, fucking loud. Two, Get yourself in frickin' rooms that scare the shit out of you. It's really about looking at those things that you know will move the business forward and doing them anyways. Thank you for allowing me to always show up as me, and thank you for showing up as you. All right, Mark, you went from living in your truck at 27 to becoming a millionaire 10 years later. What was the pivotal moment? that Lily transformed you from struggling to trusted advisor to an executive to people all over the damn world? Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to go two pivotal moments because okay. the, the big pivotal moment was getting sober. Uh, you know, I, was, I was, I was homeless living in my truck. I was 130 pounds and I had no prospects for life. So driving in, uh, to Washington, D.C. to borrow money from my brother uh, which I had no idea was in recovery. And when I landed here, him and his friends took me, you know, to an AA meeting, to NA <laughs> meetings and said, uh, you know, you could borrow the money or you could actually change your life. Uh, so I wound up going to the gym. I wound up you know, running, uh, uh, enrolling in college. So that was hugely pivotal. Taking alcohol and drugs and all that and then having a support system will change everything. Agreed. Then later in life, the reason that I am a, an executive coach is because stone cold sober in 2009, everything fell apart for me. My marriage fell apart. My, my sales ability fell apart. You know, I had, I had reached the end of, uh, whatever that running and gunning was, and I couldn't maintain it anymore. And everything started to fall apart when I, everything fell apart and I lost everything, that process to bringing things back changed my perspective on success, on leadership, on, on, on life, fatherhood, everything. Uh, and I, I was like an ex-smoker. I just couldn't shut up about how things needed to be different. In fact, one of the startups I worked at, I started a newsletter with all this goodness that I had learned and all this stuff. And they asked me to please stop. <laughs> so I should have known now then that it's, that, it's that like was somebody when they first get into an MLM, right? That's all they want to talk about is being an MLM, right? You know, yeah, all I wanted to talk about was, you know, actually you're worthwhile. You don't have to kill yourself. Like, like let's deal with childhood trauma, but nobody wanted to hear it in my own company. They turned out to be clients later, which is really kind of funny. When I did That's hang my shingle out, become a coach, a whole bunch of people showed up and said, don't know what coaching is, but I know what, you know, and it was customers too. I know who you were and who you were to me. Let's, let's do this thing. So, God, that's so fascinating. There's a bunch of unpacking there, but the first thing I want to look at particularly is what tore your world apart? What, I mean, was it the overwork? Was it the stress of work? Was it all the crap that, that you were putting expectations on yourself, you know, because running my own companies, 
you know, I, I know the stress that can come with that if you let it, right? So was it that that stacked all up that made everything go freaking haywire? Um, or I will say, I will say, I, I will say it was unresolved issues that turned me into an alcoholic and a drug addict in the first place. Okay. So for me, I had a podcast. My, the podcast before this was called Mastering Midlife, How to Thrive When the World Asks Most of You. The premise of that is the drives and motivations that get you to success in your 20s and 30s. That thing that drives you to crush it in your 20s and 30s is usually an unhealthy pathology of some sort. And in your 40s and 50s, it turns on you. If you don't evolve, if you don't listen to, you know, yay, yay, you know, trying to prove to everybody that I wasn't that homeless guy. I wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, like that's a great motivation to get you, you know, get you out of the orbit and, and, and out of the gravitational pull of that. But underneath, you know, now I'm living in status symbol land in a million dollar house. I'm driving a Lexus convertible, right? I'm the committee chair for the Boy Scouts. My insides hadn't caught up to that. So no matter what I did on the outside, it was demanding I do that work and just brought me down and crashed me to the ground. So I started having panic attacks out of nowhere. Uh, and, and I was breaking out in hives and my health started to fail. And that was my inside saying, uh, dude, there's work to be done here. Uh, so I had a, I had a, so I didn't listen. So every, so the universe decided to break everything apart for me so I could put it back together in a, in a sustainable way. And I got to introduce you to my buddy, Lon Strosheim. Um, he's just came out with a book called The Trade. Very, not as catastrophic, but, um, he talks about that corporate journey at some point you know, what got you, just what you said, what happened in your twenties and thirties won't work for you once you get to your fifties. Right. Um, but he talks about making the trade and actually going back and working with your family. Like, so you guys are stupidly aligned there. I think that'd be a fun conversation with you. Now, I think we're stupidly aligned because people are finding that out now, right? People, people are actually finding out, they would say the midlife crisis, they would say these things happen, but nobody ever tried to figure out what the heck was going on in slow motion that caused that. And now we're, you know, with, with, with some awakening, people are starting to say, oh, maybe I, I was climbing the ladder, but it was against the wrong building. Uh, and maybe I should start looking inside, which is well, terrifying to people. But a hundred percent, I mean, look how we were growing up. I, mean, I was a blue collar kid. They said, you know, you get a job, you work for somebody, you retire, you know, that's just kind of the life there. There was no get after life, meaning there was nothing outside of work. I mean, that's what just everybody knew. So most of your day, most of your life was work. Yes, you may had relationships and the likes, but work was everything. So it, even up to me launching my own company, it was a massive mental change to go from 20 years of being told what to do to now out of my own, mm. trying to figure it all out. And, and I can tell you that I wasn't prepared to meet the dude in the mirror because you don't know my background, but you know, I almost lost everything I owned trying to build a company. We, you know, had a Jeep repossessed, the house was almost foreclosed on. And I, for the first time in my life, I realized that my life had been a series of nothing but a bunch of damn excuses. Mm. And, you know, once you get to a place where you run out of excuses and then and there's nobody left to blame, but you. That's interesting because you were a Marine, right? Yep. So, so like you, that, that would cover up that your life was because you're doing something, you're doing something substantial, you're kicking ass, yep. but underneath it, you see, you, you wouldn't find that out until after you left the Marine. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, by all aspects, I was living that successful life. You know, we'd built our dream farm. I had a second house on a property with my mother-in-law, right? 
So we were doing all the things, but it wasn't that it was fulfilled. I just thought that for me, there was something more to do. Yeah. And I tell anybody, build a business. It's by far the best way to freaking figure out what you're made of and who you are. Cause it's going to kick your ass along the way. Hey, Donnie Bovin here, CEO of Success Champions Networking. And I just wanted to jump in really quick and tell you about the network. Success Champion Networking isn't for the beginning networker. It's for the business people that understand that building a successful relationships is a two-way street requiring commitment from both parties involved. Stop wasting time networking with people that don't understand how to leverage their network to generate quality referrals for you. If you're ready to network with business people that are tired of doing all the heavy lifting and want to build real partnerships that generate high revenue referrals, visit one of our chapters today at successchampionnetworking.com and I look forward to seeing you there. Interesting thing that I, I saw in one of the articles you read. This is an article you wrote on LinkedIn. I don't know how far back it was, but it was talking about your weight loss journey. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's there's a quote in here that just fucking totally resonated with me that I want to have you elaborate on. But it said, "My need to fail in public is uh, my mean to not fail in public is way stronger than my hunger." Talk to me about that. So, one of the things I wrote a book called Only Tens. And the, 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 book, the book has sold like 75,000 copies. I wrote it for myself. I thought me and my mother would buy a copy and it just, nice. it just sells like crazy. But it was, my, it was my understanding of what motivated me and my people pleasing. And what I realized is I am externally motivated mm, for, a lot of, for, for a lot of things. Like I hate, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that, but how I look, yeah, I care about. And I, for me, my, my weight has always been a struggle. I have never really been overweight because I'm vain as shit. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I, you know, that fluctuation, I could never get that last 10 pounds off except when I ran the Marine Corps marathon. Right. Um, and uh, what I notice is that there, there's always something, there's a, there's a qualifier to every action I take. There's a, there's a reason I don't do anything intrinsically for the thing. I do it either for the reward or to avoid a consequence. When I finally figured out that when everything that I did was to be liked, to look powerful, to, you know, to, to get money, whatever it was, uh, that was, that was how I worked with my ADHD and becoming an entrepreneur. Right. And I figured that out with the weight loss. When I post, I posted my scale every single day <laughs> because because I'm so freaking hungry all the time. I eat health food all the time. I'm maniacal about what I eat, but I eat too much of it because I'm just always hungry. Uh, and when I because it's health food, there's no substance there. But go ahead. <laughs> oh my! Oh my God! The, 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 but I eat uh, again. I was eat, I was lying to myself about how much I ate, the portions that I ate, how often I ate. Like my office is 15 feet from my refrigerator, right? Uh, for my healthy snacks that I make. Um, when I posted the, the, my scale every single day, that was accountability. People were watching me. People were me sending me messages. And I know that 10 times the amount of people are watching me then comment. Uh, and I know that especially afterwards that people find that out. So the weight started dropping off like crazy when I po started posting my, my scale. And when I stopped posting my scale, I learned, I, I actually, the day I hit my goal, I learned to make sourdough bread. I gained the weight back. Right. So I, I so I, I know what, I know what motivates me. 
Yeah. And it's, you know, what's interesting about that is, is I learned, you know, I was one of these kids that grew up in the self-help game, man. I was at every conference, reading every book, trying to learn everything I could about this whole self-help. It's all bullshit um, until you're actually to a point in life where you're actually going to apply and do the things that you're, you know, read. Otherwise, it's just a silver bullet you're trying to figure out. But along that journey, somebody taught me the idea of setting traps for yourself, which is exactly what you're talking about, is where you put out some sort of public accountability that you're going to do X by X and you're going to tell the world about it. And they tell you, if you're, you know, like you and I, where everything is, you know, I'm more worried about what people will think about me versus anything else. You do that and by God, you will get things done. Uh, at, in a, do, for you, is it healthy to do that? I don't care anymore. Uh, like I used to, like, I, I should be intrinsically, I should get up every day. I'm writing a new book and I have, I'm on, I'm like just on the edge of being past deadline to make my deadlines. Right. And, uh, I'm, I, I'm committed to, I'm giving a keynote in Nashville on October 17th. So I committed to the person who invited me to do the keynote that I would have my new book to give out <laughs> at the thing. Like we're cutting it so close that we actually, Amazon can't print it. We actually ha have a printer lined up in Nashville to deliver them to the hotel just in time. But I'm still like, so, so I'm writing it in public. I publicly declared that I would, I would do this. That does it for me. Uh, so on, on, uh, here's an embarrassing thing. The ADHD is so bad. Uh, I've accomplished so many things with it because I know what happens to me. Uh, when I realized I was behind schedule, I was telling some people in my mastermind, I said, you know, I'm totally behind schedule. I think I'm going to have to cancel. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. And they said, oh, what are you doing tomorrow? It's Saturday, tomorrow was Saturday. Uh, we'll be on Zoom. We're going to open up a Zoom. We've done this before. And my friends took turns staying on Zoom for seven hours on Saturday while they chained me to my desk and I could leave to go to the bathroom and eat. And I finished the task on Saturday. Uh, because my friends just sat there and something about ADD when, when I have a task to do and I have someone on zoom in the, in the corner, like we do work, these work sessions, something happens and things that would take me hours, expenses for my, my speaking gigs and things like that. I do in no time at all is just having that company. Right. Yep. So no, that's, that's you. If you heard that, I don't actually pull this. I should find the statistic, but it's like something like 70 or 80% of all entrepreneurs have ADD, ADD or ADHD. Um, which is why we're unemployable. <laughs> well, that's my entire life story. That's why I was a sales guy. Um, me too. Know. Yeah. That's when I finally found success when I became a sales guy. Yeah. So most of my journey was spent in the sales game. So tell me about changing gears just a little bit. Tell me about leading up. What does that mean for you? Um, what does it mean to lead up and how can somebody effectively lead up in their life or in their organizations? So leading, leading up is, is about managing your manager. Leading up is about becoming a trusted advisor, right? So if you're an entrepreneur and you're the CEO, the, you know you have a number two in your organization that is invaluable to you and mm -hmm. that you couldn't, one plus one equals three. You couldn't do it without them. So, but most people, you know, most people rise up through the ranks. So I, I do more corporate work than entrepreneurship. Work. Most people rise up through the ranks really quickly. Uh, because they have they have gumption, they have drive, they have motivation, they have all, the, and then they get to the C-suite, and they don't really know how to follow. Mm. They've gotten there again. What got you through your twenties and thirties won't get you through your forties and fifties. What got you into the C-suite isn't going to keep you there. 
right? It isn't going to make you successful there. It's, you know, so leading up is one of the people, one of the pieces of how to become a trusted advisor. It's funny. I, I interviewed Will Branham, who's a, uh, a Navy SEAL. And he was talking about, uh, you know, the most important piece of leadership is learning how to follow. And he illustrated it by saying, when you're, when, when you're out on the battlefield, right? When you're, when, uh, when you're, when you're with an entire Navy SEAL team, uh, is there one alpha and five other betas? No. Right. And, uh, and uh, that struck me, right? He says, there are six alphas on the team, each taking lead when they need and each following when they need. And that's how you learn how to lead, uh, to become a trusted advisor and leading yeah, out. That, that's, that's fascinating. I, I will say following is probably one of my weakest points that I have, you know, I, it's, I don't always understand it partially because I hate rules. So it feels like a rule to me. So how do I personally get better at learning to follow? I'll put a caveat on there. Uh, I'm learning to learn from other people as well, right? Cause I'm, I'm always the guy that's got the knowledge. I always want to teach and I'm learning to shut up. Um, and I, down here, it actually says quietly assertive, you know, to try and get me to shut up more and listen to more. But how do I learn to follow? You learn to follow again. It, you're, you're, it's really important to understand the mission, right? Are, if, you're, if you're in on the mission and the right person is taking the lead, it's much easier to follow because you know that you're going to play a role in making sure the mission gets accomplished. Mm. Uh, if you don't believe in the mission, why would you follow anyway? That's why you're an entrepreneur. That's why we work for ourselves because we, we're on our own mission. But anytime I'm in, let, let's say I'm doing some charity work, and someone else is leading. I believe in that. So I will do, you know, I'll, hey, Mark, go get, go get those bottles of water. Go do this. Go do that. Absolutely. No problem. Because I'm leading in my own capacity uh, to help the mission. But if, again, if, I, if I'm not uh, in a line with, with that, I can't follow. It's um, uh, that, too headstrong. Yeah, no, that makes totally sense for me. I mean, I, it, nonprofits is a good way to put it because you're in a situation where you're supporting, helping somebody else out. Of course, you're going to step up and do whatever they need. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, what titles are or anything like that. So that's a great way of putting it. Um, I like that a lot, actually. So as people are moving through the journey, you've got a lot of this, not self-help, but self-care is the word I'm looking for, that you talk about on a regular basis. And this is, self-care was not something I got into until the last couple of years. Of uh, You know, I've always been trying to work in a mental game, always been trying to meet myself, but the the healthy side of things was not my game at all, right? Um, freaking rum drinker. I up until I met my wife, I was a heavy smoker. Um, you know, we it gives you a great podcast voice, though. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell, right? I'm twenty, almost twenty years removed from smoking, but you know, uh, there there was definitely some some heavy years in there. You know, why self care so much? Um, and, and why is this the big platform you seem to be on with a lot of your content? Uh, number one is because I, the reason I'm a coach is because I watched people, my contemporaries, people I cared about, I watched their marriages fall apart. I watched their health fall apart. I watched people die in their fifties that didn't need to die. So I watched this and I realized that that it, it's the, the quiet agreement that we've made to be in the 1% that we could allow these things to fall apart. And it was just unacceptable to me. It's unacceptable to me that you don't have a relationship with your children or your spouse uh, or, or yourself. 
So that's the reason for it. But I also, uh, I, I just interviewed Dr. Jeff Spencer. He's the, he's uh he's Bono's coach. He's um, Richard Branson's coach, Tiger Woods coach, right? So this guy's substantive, right? And he, he fucking nailed it for me on the, on the podcast. I had actually had to stop the interview because it, I got goosebumps. Cause he finally said, he says, your body freaking lies to you. Your body says to you, you can handle the stress. Your body says mm-hmm. to you, it can handle all the shit you throw at it for decades. You can go 10 years, 20 years, 30 years thinking that you're just fine and dandy but your body's keeping score and eventually it's going to blow up. And I was like, thank you. You know, Mr. Guy who has credibility because of who you coach for saying this. He said, the hustle and grind is fucking bullshit. Uh, and, and it drives people into the ground. And what I know is I've seen it over and over and over, but Gary Vaynerchuk and Grant Cardone don't talk about those people. They talk about the people who, you know, just, who, who have made it. So, so let's talk about that because that, that, that's going to be a good soapbox to freaking get into. So this is where I'm not the hustle and grind guy. So let me start there. But my philosophy, and I, and I want to go through this, my philosophy is very simple. I have a full working farm and I run my businesses. Okay. And pygmy goats, which I didn't. Dwarf Nigerian goats, right? Um, so every morning I have to get up and let my goats out. Every evening, I have to put my goats up. They can't let themselves out of the barn, right? If I leave them out, predators will get them, even though I've got guard dogs out there for them and the like. So I get no choice. Every day, I have to wake up my goats. Every day, I have to put my goats up, okay? That makes for some very long days. So I start my day by choice. I love getting up early and having a farm. So I get up about 3.50 every morning. And then I'm not to bed till 10 o'clock at night, Okay. In between there, from, you know, I'll sit down at this desk from 8 till 5, 6 o'clock in the evening, and I'm on, right, nonstop. Um, I'll respond to employees and the likes, and I got some breaks in there. I'm not the hustle and grind guy, but I am 100% do the fucking work until the work mm-hmm. is done guy. And where I think people, and correct me if we're aligned on this, if not, please educate me, um, People think that it's doing a massive amount of things. For me, it's doing the right things and getting that shit done. And your day doesn't finish until they're done. So uh, you said educate you. That, that would apl- imply that I might be right and you might be wrong. And what I understand about all of this is I have a perspective. Fair, fair. Right? fair. I have a perspective and I have a perspective that changes from client to client, from situation to situation, from year to year. Like this may be the year where you hit it hard. This may be the year where- Amazing self-awareness, by the way. Right, Right? and uh, I I was coaching one one client who uh, called me up and he was going to freaking torch a business partner and he was gonna fucking take him to task. And I was gonna say, you know, take his anger away and do all this stuff. And what I realized is this is the most affable guy in the world and he never gets angry. So I can't coach him that his anger is dangerous and all this stuff. I have to actually really support him to feel this because it's, he's, he's, in, he's in his space where I'll take another client who flies off off the handle all the time and I'll walk him off the ledge, right? So, so when we talk about the hustle, the hustle and the work, it, for me, it's more what's going on inside, what's driving it. I, someone asked me yesterday, so, so do you work like four days a week because you talk about this stuff? I said, no, I fucking work seven days a week. 
because I love what I do. I will write all weekend because I'm, I love it. Right. I get up at five 15 every morning because I want to get my shit together and get my, myself right before I ever talk to a client. So I get up, I exercise, I meditate, I journal, I do all that stuff. Right. It's what, what's pushing it is if there's a desperation to it, you're running on fumes. If there's like, if this, if this is, and you know it, you can feel it in your body. But if you're just, you know, if you're working hard, you can you can load bales of hay all day long, right? And 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 it and it rejuvenates you. Yep. Uh, so so for me, it's it's really the motivation and the come from that that is part of it. If you feel fear, if you feel fear, stop it. If you feel fear taking a break, then you're being driven by cotton candy rather than fuel. Uh, so that that's those that's how I gauge it. Is what what is what is bringing you Why to you that hard that? work yeah. right what so that that's 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 how i gauge it and you know i'm 61 so i can't do what i did when i was 30 right uh, so uh for me i take a 15 minute power nap on the floor of my office every fucking day like i put i put i put my phone on do not disturb i set my timer for 20 minutes so that it takes me 5 minutes to fall asleep i i put my headphones on I'm out cold for 15 minutes, get up, have a cup of coffee. I'm ready to go. Right. So, so again, what do you need to be at your best is always the question. And I love the intrinsic thought process of why are you doing it? You know, or why are you not doing it? You know, that's a, that's a really good barometer of thinking through what activities. Like I didn't understand for the longest time how to actually get to know yourself. And I'll mm. bring this full circle. And for me, it wasn't until one day, and I do these morning walks every morning. It's just my way to reset every day. And I was on one of my morning walks, and I just asked myself, huh, why do I feel that particular emotion right now? And it was like the whole world opened up for me because mm. what I realized was, for me, how I learned to discover who I am, what makes me tick, is to ask, okay, why am I feeling that way right now? I'm trying to understand where the hell that emotion comes from. Um, and I love this, this idea of asking, why aren't you taking a break or, you know, uh, why are you doing this particular task? And then looking for the emotion underlying that, because that's a huge tell on, are you doing the right thing? Here's the flip side of all that. Being an entrepreneur is the toughest fucking thing I've ever done in my life, dude. It is an emotional roller coaster. It's an absolute beat down. And it's very hard to not get caught up in, dude, I'm just going to grind through this shit, you know, and keep going. So the only, you know, parent, uh, uh, boundaries, I hate the word boundaries. It's the only word I know that I could put in place for me was my day ends here. My day starts here. <laughs> right. That's the only thing I can do to take breaks in between there. So. I don't want to say, am I doing that right? Because only I can tell if I'm doing that right. But what would you recommend to somebody who, especially in the entrepreneur world, you know, how do they check in and not get caught up in overworking, which is really what they're referring to when they're hustling? I think first thing is to understand, to, uh, to understand what it is you're, you're, you're doing. Um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. So earlier you said, you said, I want to make sure I'm working on the right things. Yep. If you're not slowing down, if you're not taking a walk in the morning, if you're not taking a break in the day, 
you don't know if you've got your arrow pointed in the right direction. If you haven't slowed down to take stock, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing in the right way? Do I need help with this? Should I ask someone else to do this? Should I delegate this? If you're not take, if you're not, if you haven't slowed down to come, come, you know, to, to allow that inner knowing to help guide you, you're, you're missing a tool that is freaking invaluable, which is that inner guidance, that intuition or that gut, that gut feeling of what you should be working on. When I wrote only tens, I decided because I, because again, I'm a people pleaser. I'm all things to all people because I can be, because I'm smart, I'm energetic, right? I'm competent. I started saying, I'm only going to do things that I'm a hell yes to, uh, that, that I'm a hundred percent. It's a 10, right? Nines, eight, sevens off the fucking list. Um, when I started only doing tens, what showed up was, oh, I think I should call this particular prospect. I should do this for someone. And like miracles started happening. Connections started happening. Business started happening from slowing down. So if you're, if, so if you're running like that, you're doing that because that's, the, that's what you know how to do. If you can learn that if you take time, and it's only a little bit of time during the day to take a deep breath, to get into your body, to wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes, maybe take a walk to get physical, because if you get in your body, you can get present. You'll know how to point the arrow better, and you won't have to work as hard. Yeah, um, that's my, I can tell you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a woo-woo guy. Um, I, I rarely laugh at a lot of things that are talked about in the woo-woo space, but I will say that getting out in nature, going for a walk and getting physical, um, I heard Tom Bilyeu, I forget who he was interviewing, but on one of his podcasts, he's like, I think every breakthrough comes when somebody is getting physical. They're either training for a marathon or mm -hmm. they're, they're, right, they're, they're doing some activity. I had not heard anybody say it's because you can get present, um, which makes sense to me um, because I found because of my ADHD, the morning walks and not being able to see a whole lot in the dark and everything allows me to think because I'm distracted by the walking. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it, it was interesting when my career uh, in 2009, when I, my career just went into the shitter and I didn't know what to do. Um, I decided to run the Marine Corps marathon. So I, I was broke. My career was in the toilet. My health was out, but I couldn't run a mile. And I heard this guy on a, on a radio show. While I was waiting for a doctor's appointment say, everybody can run. We're bipedal. We're meant to run. We should be able to run. Everybody's run. So I called him. This was before the, uh, you could actually do Zoom or anything like this. I called him and asked him to coach me to run the Marine Corps Marathon. Uh, and he said, uh, yeah, it'll take you about two years. I'm like, I'm probably going to die. So I, I, I need to do it this year because uh, my goals are run the Marine Corps Marathon and make a million dollars this, this year because uh, I want to leave a million dollars to my kids uh, uh, because uh, you know I, I was really pretty sure I was going to die. And um, kind of morbid, but uh, anyway, so I started training for the Marine Corps Marathon. While I was training for the marathon, again, being present, being in my body, listening to good things, something happened in my career where I made the freaking million dollars. Like everything turned around, my health, my business, everything when I was out running every single day. So for, especially with someone with ADHD, getting into your body is, is the thing that's going to give you that wisdom. Well, my wife and I are looking at a 5K, right? I did enough running in the Marine Corps. I fucking hate running with a passion, right? Um, but walking, I can do. And you can walk a 5K, and I'm good with this. But my wife and I are actually looking at doing a 5K just to find one. Um, she 
we both kind of agreed. Let's find one that has a beer at the end because we still drink. So God love you uh, for your choices and respect a hell out of them, by the way. If I could drink, if I didn't end up living in my truck every time I drank, uh, I, I would get drink. it. <laughs> and I, I trust me, I, I have very close friends of mine that are, you know, alcohol anonymous, regularly attended meetings and the likes. And they know that if we're out at an event, networking, something else, that if they ever feel pressure, their job is to come and get as close to me. And one of them's got a freaking, he'll put his knuckle right in the back of my back. Mm -hmm. And if I feel that, I immediately just grab him. We go for a walk. Doesn't matter where we're at. And I just respect the fuck out of it too much to watch somebody relapse back into that world. So, so kudos for that. Walking, walking, by the way, I, I plug for walking. Uh, if, if you have, if you have to figure out a problem, walk, if you have anxiety, walk, if walking is the answer to almost everything for me. Well, I got the idea from Steve jobs of, of all people, because I was, I either listened to his story or read, I don't remember, but he did all these walking meetings and I thought it was interesting that he took all these executives and high powerful people on walks to have their meetings. But I thought, well, you know, I'm on the farm. I don't have a lot of people that are around me, but I can go walk by myself every morning. And dude, it, it transformational. Um, uh, and just the amount of things has opened up for me is pretty, pretty, pretty hey, rad. Kim, Kim Scott, who uh, wrote Radical Candor, I interviewed her and she, she was saying that she started taking phone calls. She would have a walk every afternoon and if people, if people who work for her wanted to talk to her, they could call her on her walk time. And she, she found that to be, she was much more less guarded. She was much more personable. They were much more approachable. And she had some of the best conversations while she was walking rather than talking in the office. And I am writing that down and I'm actually going to schedule that idea to see how it goes. I like the idea. I do it at four o'clock. If, any, if anybody who isn't a client wants to talk to me, they can talk to me between four and five when I walk my dogs. I love that. What kind of dogs do you have? I have two Pyrenees lab mixes. I have One two black. Pyrenees. I know when you said you had someone guarding the guarding the the goats, I was like, he has Pyrenees. I I have one right. black and one white. Um, I have two white ones, uh, only because it's a pissing contest for me. Um, how big are your Pyrenees? Uh, both uh, one is. 80 pounds, one's 70 pounds. Cause they're Pyrenees lab mixes. Right. One looks like a black lab. One looks like a Pyrenees. Y'all, you ready for this crazy shit? My male is 215 wow. pounds. My female is 190. They are, but they protect the ghosts. Uh, they, they're, they're such great dogs. Oh, best dogs in the planet. I, I had no idea cause I never had Pyrenees. Now we have a bunch of dogs on the farm, but those guys protect our goats. I, I have no idea how amazing of a dog a Pyrenees is. Um, gentle giants. They're just loving the death. Um, absolutely love those. Talk to me about um, coping skills and coping skills, coping mechanisms, this idea. Uh, walk me through it. Coping skills versus coping mechanisms. That was just uh, it was an essay I just kind of wrote out of, out of, again, out of that intuition. I was sitting in the morning and I just wrote it. And what I realized was that we all have these coping mechanisms that we use and they're the usual subjects right? They're, they're, they're porn, they're alcohol, they're sugar, they're spending, right? Mine is, mine is spending. Like I, I like water, if I buy one shirt, I need to buy five different colors of the same shirt, right? I, I change cars every two years just because I get bored. Um, coping, so coping mechanisms are those things that we reach for to feel better. You walk home, you walk in the house, you grab a glass of wine or a beer or a cookie and it works. You feel better. The problem is 
that they, you know, they, they light up the dopamine centers in, in, in our brains in an unhealthy way. It, tell, it tells your body, when you go do this thing, you'll feel better and you feel better. And then when you, in like most addictions, you need more and more of it uh, to, 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 to feel satisfied. Coping skills are those things that aren't readily available, right? Those are those things where you need to actually go put on your sneakers to go take a walk or go to the gym. Uh, you need to actually chop up a salad or wash an apple rather than eat a sleeve of Oreos, right? So coping skills are those things that actually feed mm -hmm. you, that actually do make you feel better, but need a little bit of effort, right? The cool thing about coping skills is that they make you more able to cope after you use them. After you take a walk, you're in a better place rather than after you watch three shows on Netflix, you're not in a better place, right? So coping skills versus coping mechanisms are the things that we do each day um, that either expand our expand ourselves or contract ourselves. And I could do this in my Mastering Overwhelm workshop, I, I, not as an indictment. Like I, I tell people, this isn't an indictment that you use these coping mechanisms. We all do. The world is set up for cheap dopamine. The world is set up to have you watch TV, eat shit, and, uh, and stay sedentary. Uh, and if you want to take responsibility for your life, you have to wrestle that from what the world is trying to get you to do. And it's not easy. And if you can take one thing, just one thing, you know, if you don't want to go to the gym, take a walk. If you don't want to, you know, go on a diet, just stop drinking soda. Can you do one thing to improve yourself? So that's the, that's the coping mechanisms versus coping skills. I loved it. As you were talking, I went and looked at the book. I couldn't remember the name. It's Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he talks about habit stacking. And for me, as you were talking about chopping the salad and the like, you know, it's the idea of, excuse me, um, it's the idea of doing something that triggers you to do something else, right? Or putting something in play. I had not heard anybody describe it in that regard. It's a cool way to look at it because like I wanted to get really active on LinkedIn. That, that was going to be my platform. So I decided in January, I was going all in on LinkedIn and figuring out what to do. So nine months in, I'm over 10,000 followers. I've successfully added a thousand nice. followers a month. But to do that, I had to do a habit stack to get in there. I had to learn the skill of actually going to LinkedIn and doing it. So what I did is after my morning walks, I would immediately come in sit down and write. Um, and that just became the thing that I do. And now it's just a daily habit to, to do every day. Um, I like the idea of going and doing something to make a healthier choice or to do it in a better way, maybe if that's the right terminology. How right. do you figure out these skills? So, so for so for me, the way the way I figured this out was I love donuts. Uh, and when I was a sales guy, every morning, every meeting you went to, there were donuts everywhere. And I would eat a donut and a cup of coffee. And by 10 o'clock, I would be like dying. I just couldn't stay awake. I was just miserable. And this, this went on for years. And then one day I was standing there and I was about to eat a donut. And I said, you know, if you eat that donut, you're going to feel like shit. And I ate the donut and I felt like shit. And then for a couple of days, I would eat the donut and I'd feel like shit. Uh, and then one day I walked up to the table and I went and I said, if you eat that donut, you're going to feel like shit. And I didn't, didn't touch the donut and I didn't feel like shit later. And that was like a clue to me that this, this lab rat existence that I have that see a donut, eat the fucking donut, uh, was, was killing me. 
Uh, and I, the same thing with ice cream. Ice cream makes me really, really sick. If I eat too much ice cream, my hands swell. I can't type. I can't do things. Uh, but I love ice cream. Now I don't eat ice cream because I've just equated. If I eat ice cream, I can't type. <laughs> you know, I, I like that. It, it just does bad things to me. Uh, so, so that's how I started to learn. Uh, I just want to feel better about myself. Uh, ah, awesome. uh, you know, I just, I, I like, then, and, and it, at 30, you can do so much shit to yourself and you don't have the consequence, you know, at 61, the consequences are immediately immediate of not getting a good night's sleep of eating crap the night before, you know, I'm hung over if I have a piece of cake, uh, <laughs> right? Like it's just, you know, so if I want to accomplish at 61, what, you know, you people are doing, uh, you know, 20 years earlier, uh, I need to really take care of myself and mine those mechanisms versus those skills. I need to get into bed at 10 o'clock. I need to get up at 5.15 to get my shit together so that I show up vibrant and alive and, you know, and, and youthful so that I can make the impact that I want to make. Love that thought process. And, I'm, and thank you for thinking I'm 20 years younger than you. I appreciate that. So maybe 15, but I digress. Um, something that's you still, do. That's still ho a whole almost adult person younger. Than <laughs> well, uh, one thing that you do really well, at least with the, how you show up is you get pretty vulnerable with your stories, right? You have no problem sharing some of the dark story, you know, areas of your life, some of the things you went through. And, um, I had to learn to do that later in life. Uh, you know, I didn't think anybody would do business with a country dude who cussed too much and you know, carried myself like I carried until I started showing up as me. Do you think that people should put themselves all the way out there, be vulnerable, especially if they're in executive roles? Um, how should people show up? Should authenticity be a thing? And if it is a thing, to what level? Hmm. I was once told, uh, I, I, I was always told that I wear my heart on my sleeve. Uh, you know, when I got sober, like I just didn't have the, the wherewithal to put a facade on. I didn't have the energy to do that. And people, but people would say, I wore my heart on my sleeve and, uh, and I shared, I overshared, uh, a lot. Uh, and then when I became a coach, uh, the, the, the cachet was to be vulnerable, to bleed all over. Right? And then someone, uh, a good friend of mine, Helen Appleby said to me, you know, Mark, love your vulnerability. Uh, she has a British accent that I can't do, so it's much more effective. It's much more effective that way. She, you know, uh, she says, but it's much more. People don't want to see your gaping wounds; they want to see your scars. Mm. Uh, she says, so, so, you know, we want to know that you've been through things, maybe even going through something, but we don't, we don't want to, we don't, you know, don't share. Uh, again, when we got divorced, uh, my when my ex-wife and I got divorced the therapist said something really smart because we were both falling apart. We were both just, I was depressed and suicidal. She couldn't get out of bed. We were both falling apart. And the, the therapist said, uh, your kids need, can, need to see you cry. They need to see you sad. They can't see you fall apart. They need you to hold it together. Mm. Right? So fall apart elsewhere so that you can show them you're sad, you're crying, you care about that stuff, and you're authentic. But the fall apart, let someplace else. Same thing with leaders. If you're going to fall apart, I just had a guy say today, he goes, you know, Mark, he says, I've been talking shit and I've been talking to subordinates about the, the stress I'm under. And, I've been, and he says, 
I realized I shouldn't. I'm like, yeah, call me. You want right. to complain and be a little victim, even a little bitch? Call me so that you can show up because we all need to be that. We all need, I need to whine, right? Uh, but we whine in the appropriate place and then show up for our people. But again, uh, you know, this, this, this person I was talking to, you know, a few people, two people died in his life that, you know, that past week. I said, they know something's going on. So you've got to share why you're mm -hmm. out of sorts, right? If you hold that, they think it's them. So it's being judicious. It's being, it's being conscious of what you share uh, and, and, you know, with the right people. And that's such smart advice because I, not as much as you, um, but tend to overshare what's going on in my life. Um, but I think I also went to extremes on vulnerability. What happened was as I was going through the worst time in my life, built, trying to build a business and almost losing everything, I started sharing how bad I was fucking things up in business. Pe I got rewarded for it because people started leaning in and asking me questions about how they do things. And even though, even though I would say, I literally just told you I screwed this all up and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to fix your issue. They would keep asking me. So I started just saying, well, try this, right? Um, and that continued to happen. So I got rewarded for, for sharing. As I built my company and we brought on more staff and more people, I've had to learn what I can share and what I can't share. It's not always easy. Um, I like the analogy your therapist gave. And I think everybody should have a therapist, by the way. Um, but just the idea of, of they can see you cry, but they can't see you fall apart. Um, there's a lot of stress that gets put on people as we all build businesses. And, you know, you're main job, I will say my main job is to reassure the team that the ship's all heading in the right direction, even if you're plugging some holes in the bottom of the damn boat. Uh, right. along so you, and you, you lead a peer group, right? You lead a peer group of entrepreneurs. I do. And like, that's a place where you can go fall apart so that you can go be strong for your place, right? So you have to have, like, I, I love these peer groups uh, because so many entrepreneurs go it alone. You know, I have a posse. I talk to, I have, I have, uh, three other friends that we get, uh, that are, they're also coaches. We get on a call every, uh, Friday at two o'clock. We get on zoom. We've been doing this for seven freaking years and we're busy. We're flying all over the world. We almost never miss that two o'clock because that's where we can get the coaching we need. We can fall apart. We can be messy there so we can get our shit together to go do what we need to go do. So we have places that we can do that. Was that easy for you to set up? Because I had to get really humble for me to, to, to have that. I, I got a couple of CEOs I do the same thing with, but I had to get really humble with myself to be able to sit in that room. No idea how, how natural this had, because what, you know, one, is, one is a very high-end female executive coach. One is a Buddhist uh, surfer, uh, you know, my best friend, Tony. Uh, uh, who lives in Hawaii, right? And Shaka man and, and, uh, you know, uh, that guy, then one's kind of a witchy shaman -y woman and the, how we all, and then there's New, New York Jew Mark here, like, and, and how we all gelled and one plus one plus one equals 10. Uh, I have no idea. And why we keep showing up is a phenomenon to me. It really is a phenomenon to me that we've made it a priority. I've known, I know other people who have watched us and then created groups like that uh, and uh, put, the, put the effort forth, right? You got to put the effort forth and, and the chemistry has got to show up.
Well, I mean, for me, and I'm assuming you're the same way, I have to have a place to release. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I learned early in the business around my family in particular that I couldn't share the struggles. I could only share the good stuff. Um, cause by shared the struggles, everybody wants to coach, right? Everybody wants to give you advice and you know, nobody in my family has ever been an entrepreneur, business owner or the like. So if I shared the, 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 the stuff when I was struggling, they're like, I'll oh, go get a job or try this, do this. And it was all advice out of love. It just, the advice had no relevance to what we were doing. Right. So it's that same thing. I had to find places to release, which for me, that started being, it took me some humility to even get a coach. Um, yeah, I'm just a guy that doesn't like being told what to do. And when you sit across from somebody, then you get the accountability and somebody's going to be freaking telling you what to do in some aspect of, of that journey. And, and it requires you to be willing to take it on the chin and shut the fuck up and let them coach, <laughs> you know, which is not always easy for a guy like me to do. Uh, I've still learned it in some aspects. Again, trusted advisor, like people have to earn the right to coach you. Uh, people have to earn the right to coach me. I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I, I, I'm vulnerable on social media and I'll, I'll put a struggle out there because I want people to know, cause I look really perfect. If I, if I don't watch it, I look like I know everything about everything and I've got my shit together and I'm emotionally intelligent and you know, like I only eat green leafy vegetables. Right. Um, so I purposely share things that are, that are, that are tough for me. Uh, and, uh, it, my whole network is coaches, right? Uh, I get me instant messages every time I share. Hey, Mark, I can help you with that. How would you like to have you th have you thought about this methodology? I'm like, dude, I am I am your fucking grandfather. I have done every one of those modes. Like, just back up. So I have to humble myself and they're just trying to help, right? Like, uh, I so so something to try. This is this 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 worked for me because I love doing the vulnerable post, right? There's just sometimes in business where, and you sound like you're trying to do the same thing. It, I. I want people to know the, the shit show of the business, right? I want them to know the ugly side of it. And, you know, every once in a while, I'll go out and share. I'm not sharing my mental struggles. I'm sharing my business struggles. Mm. Where am I fucking up in this? Um, I can't tell you the number of people, usually when I do that, that will send me a DM to say, God, thank you. I feel totally. every bit of this, right? So. Um, I don't get the coaches so much. I'm glad. No, I, I do. I do because that, that, that's a lot of my network. I, you know, I, I was, I was actually speaking to a group of coaches once, uh, and, uh, they, uh, they, they asked me to talk about how to become successful as a coach. And, uh, so I go, I get put, put on the, on the stage because I'm, you know, example number one of someone who's made it as a coach and, and rocks the world. And I said, I was a hundred thousand dollars in debt. I struggled for five years to figure out who I coach, what I coach, what am I good at? I, you know, I was taking care of my ex-wife, my kids, my elderly parents. I bankrupted myself and put myself in debt to become a coach. Uh, and I, you know, I, and I was digging out at the time and I told everybody that I said, I now know who I coach. I now make a substantial amount of money. I now do those things. Uh, everybody came up to me just yep. thank, cause so, so many people are struggling, uh, in, in that area. Uh, and I don't want anybody to think that I, you know, came out of the womb, uh, a, you know, a successful executive coach. I fucking fought with my own inner demons, with my own, you know, with, with the marketing, with the, the whole thing to become who I am today. Dude, I that, that's a legit fear of mine that someday somebody's going to look at me and go, well, fuck, you've always had it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
Gary V. One fun time, he said, "Document the journey." And so I've done my best to do just that. You know, document from a blue collar kid who almost lost every damn thing to, you know, the success we continue to find. Just so nobody can say that. Mm. You know, um, I got a buddy of mine, Cody Jinks. He's a country music singer. I know Cody Jinks. Yeah. So he I, actually I, my sons and my sons and I got we just got back from Chris Stapleton, uh, and. Uh, my sons and I go every year. We pick a country legend to go see, and Cody Cody Jinks is one of my sons. And Tyler uh, Tyler Childers right now is my nice. Yeah, yeah. So so Tyler. Cody uh, taught me how to wait tables at a Bennigan's restaurant. That's hilarious. We bartended together for a number of years. Great dude. Um, but you know Tony is been or Cody excuse me has been sitting on bar stools for the last 15, 16 fucking years. Yeah, you know, it's just the last couple of years he's really starting to blow up, and I just have to giggle every time somebody's like, "Well, here's this overnight success." Motherfucker, you don't know the dirty smoke halls and shit that the dude sat in. Yeah, 20, 20 years to overnight success. Yeah, yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Well, brother, this is a huge conversation. I've really enjoyed chat the hell out of it and getting to know you more. Uh, and I'm looking forward to see how our lives continue to cross and impact and the things we can do together. Um, how do people get in touch with you? Um, how do they find more information about you? How do they follow you? And how do they, you know, make sure they try and sell you coaching services when you put out a vulnerable post? <laughs> uh, they can go to markjsilverman.com, silverman.com. Everything is there. My podcast, The Rising Leader podcast is there. You can get a free copy of my book, Only Tens, uh, there. So you can download, download that there. There's plenty of resources and videos because most of my clients won't read. I have to make little five-minute videos of everything I teach. So those are there if you if you want those. My new book, The Rising Leader Handbook, should be out on October 17th. Will I, be out on October 17th. Uh, I, I, just, yeah. I, just, I, just, I just saw a thing flash on my laptops. How's the writing going in my cart? <laughs> so yeah, so everything, everything Mark J. Silverman is, uh, is on, on, um, on the website. That's awesome. Well, guys, if you lasted this long with us and you hung out with me and Mark and you got a tip, a trick, any sort of value out of this, do us a favor, take a screenshot wherever you're listening to this or watching this on and post it on social media. Tag both Mark and I. And if we see it, we can grab it. We'll come in, jump in, say howdy and hello. But it lets us know that you really enjoy this type of content. And we need to bring up more of it. So take a screenshot wherever you're listening and tag us in there. It'd mean the world to us. Otherwise, love you, mean it. See you, bye.